calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 179. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, I'll just come out and say it. We won the Parsec Award for Best Speculative Fiction Magazine. I'm happier than a coon dog on a bare leg. The Parsecs are dedicated to rewarding excellence in various aspects of speculative fiction podcasting. And yes, that whole arena is big enough to support and justify having Emmy-type awards at this point. I could sit here and blather, prattle, babble, and squee. I could sit here and think about more fun synonyms describing the act of gibbering on. But I'm just going to say thanks to you listeners for giving us renewed reason to do this each week. For donating, of course, and for making us want to do better. And by us, I mean mostly me, because Kendall and Luke are lazy and good for nothing. From the bottom of our hearts, specifically somewhere around the inferior Vena Cava, we thank you. If you do want to hear me yak, yakety yak, and or yammer, you can see video footage as well as various other Nesundrious DragonCon adventures in episode one of our Super Animal Deathmatch video podcast, which should be dropping down the feeds over the weekend. Go to Megabeasts at the top of Drabblecast.org to subscribe. It was a fun weekend. All right, on with the show. Travel time. Drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called Twinkle Twinkle, and it comes to us from James Shackle. James is a 22-year-old law student from Australia who enjoys fleeing from reality and taking refuge in the comforting world of stories. It seems to be working so far. He's been published in The Abacate Journal, Sketch, The Battered Suitcase, and The Drabblecast back in episode 66 with his story revealing the true nature of ducks, Creatures in Disguise. Happy to have him back on the show. Little Star, that is what you call me, child. I have heard you at night. 
even out here, on the edge of all things, I have heard you. <laughs> so enjoy your dreams, your fables, your nursery rhymes. Enjoy your hope. It will not save you now. For what twinkles from earth in reality burns hotter and brighter than you could ever imagine. A diamond? Hardly. I am the light that brings only darkness, the end of all endings, and with each planet devoured I grow stronger. I am the destroyer of worlds, and soon you will wonder no more. Our feature story this week is The Red Bride by Samantha Henderson, whom I had the pleasure of hanging out with this weekend. Samantha lives in Southern California, under the pomegranate tree, next to the chickens. Her fiction and her poetry have been published in realms of fantasy, fantasy magazine, cheesine, mythic delirium, goblin fruit and abyss and apex, and podcast at Escape Pod, Podcastle, and The Drabblecast. This story first appeared in the July issue of Strange Horizons. The story is read to you by voice actress Deliane Forget. Deliane is descended from a long line of French bad boys who got sent off to Quebec at various times by their irate French fathers. As a teenager, she became a professional actress working in summer stock, later diverging into dance and opera, musicals, radio drama, and voiceovers. She moved to the UK in 1992, where she continued her coat of many colors career at Glenburn, the Lindbury Studio, the Royal Opera House, and the glorious Duchess Theatre. She's toured Germany and Switzerland as the leading role of Maude in Harold and Maude, and is currently busy with voiceovers, video games, modeling and print ads, and working as a professional tour guide. So without further ado, we bring you The Red Bride by Samantha Henderson. Imagine Twigling, the Red Bride, to be human such as yourself, although she is in truth a creature of the Var. I'm guessing you've heard the kitchen staff speak of the Red Bride, because you've a quick ear and the wit to pick up a few words of Varian. And you're not so arrogant as most of your race. To think the back chatter of servants and slaves is no account. You're small for your species, and quiet, and I'm wise to that trick of yours, of tucking up under the table and staying so still everyone forgets you're there. Still, they should be cannier than to imagine a human twinkling like you wouldn't overhear. You must be patient. The Red Bride isn't a story I've pondered back and forth in my head and made like a Terran bedtime tale, all chopped up nicely for your eager bird-like gape. I must think it through in the telling, and you must open up your mind and believe that a dog which is not a dog may be hatched from an egg with all the knowledge it needs to hunt. The story of the Red Bride is a slave's tale in slave speech, which 
which I do not generally hold in my head around humans, lest my face betray me. So I must shift words around from one meaning to another, like stones on a reckoning board, each stone taking meaning from a square, where another stone was a moment before. Also, I think the story of the Red Bride is very and entirely nothing human at all, and doesn't come from the shared tales the scholars say that all the seeded races share in common. If your mother overheard me mention the seeded races, and that the scholars begin to say that human and the Var are alike, she would have me whipped. You know that yourself, Twinkling. But past this night, I do not think that your mother's whip will be used for anything after tonight, save lashing a bundle of fiberthorn. The Red Bride is a var, and so squat, stunted, and ape-like to you. But you are to see her as we do, and therefore beautiful, straight, and strong, with piercing eyes and poised like a warrior. However you think of those princesses of yours, that you watch in your hollow stories, and then beg me to weave into your bedtime tales, However you think of the most beautiful of them, or the most adventurous, the one you want to be, that is what she looks like. You must understand, Twigling, that your princesses are all very ugly to me. The Red Bride is born again and again, as our holy people are over the span of many years. In the story in your head, you might say that she is one of a long line of women that are born each from another. I notice that in the stories humans tell their young, a woman who lives forever is a monstrous thing, a demon that kills the newborn, or that runs about on chicken feet, and not to be honored as we would honor her. The story doesn't start with the bride, but with the Valhan, a leader that is born unknowing, when the Var have the greatest need of him. He is not born a dreamer, or a gatherer, or an arbiter, as are our males, but all these things together. In your story, you must think of a village boy who has found an ancient sword. The Valhan's mind is like a prism, gathering and scattering light and information and knowledge and pain. It's quiet? Yes, it's very quiet. You don't hear the clatter from the kitchen. The servants getting ready for tomorrow's anniversary feast and celebrations. They're not preparing the great room or polishing the silver. I wonder if your parents' guests come to the ambassador's house for this holiday, snuck in their bedrooms with a var outside each door to supply their every need. I wonder if they notice anything 
strange about it. There comes a time when the Valhan has seen enough and bears all he can bear. But he cannot act without his bride, the Red Bride, beside him. So far, this tale is easy to tell, but now it gets difficult, for I don't have time to shift from what the words mean in slave talk to Semlevarian, to bedtime speak. We have as many languages as bloodlines, you know, although as far as the humans are concerned, we all speak the same debased patois. My mind's rusty. I've been living among Terrans too long, you are to imagine that the Red Bride must be sought, hunted down by a dog, a hound. This hound hatches from an egg laid by a monstrous bird, like the ones whose bones are stone in the Vandian Mountains, that the scholars say are like those dug out of Terran soil. The bird eats the belly stones of the Var that go to the mountain lakes to die and crushes them inside it. And this is what the egg's shell is composed of with the hound inside. You remember the lake and the belly stones, don't you, Twigling? I know you followed us that day we took old Impeti to the mountain on his dying day. I didn't say anything, because I knew you were fond of Impeti, and brought him water when he was thirsty, and he feared to move from his place in the children's wing. And also, I know that you lied, and said you had sent him on an errand when he was really sleeping. I thought that it might be a good thing for a human child to see how a far died, when I saw that you understood that the moonstones your people find on the shores of the lake and small seas, which are sacred to us, are the belly stones of the Var that die there, I almost killed you. I saw you look from the white bare ribs of the dead to the opalescent spill of pebbles beneath. And I know you are clever. If humans knew that in time the grey coating of our belly stones wore away and that they became such pretty baubles, we would be bred and slaughtered for them as your species breeds cattle. But I am curious, and I wanted to see what you would do. At the same time, I knew the Hound had been hatched and was hunting the cities, the mines and the salt flats for the Bride. And you said nothing. That's why I'm here tonight. Telling you stories, instead of gathering with the others, or guarding your door ready to strike. No twiggling. You can't move. I put stillweed in your tea tonight. You can hear, and see, and breathe, but your limbs will not obey you. Let me finish the story. 
The Hound hunts the alleys where my people scrape for a living in the soaring cities their ancestors built. It sniffs the banks of the rivers where mothers throw their children, either because they have died or because they don't want them to live in slavery. It finds the places where the Var have been whipped and kicked and killed. I'm sure it found that post beside the back door, where your mother has her servants whipped. I have bled there myself, more times than I care to remember. I will admit to you that I won't miss your mother or your father, who has occupied himself with his ambassador's duties and did nothing. So the hound hunts until he finds the Red Bride with her veils and scarlet slippers and ruby bracelets waiting for him. You understand that because this is not a story of your time or race or planet. That the hound is not a hound as the bride is not a bride, as the rubies are not rubies. But the bride is certainly red, because both Var and human blood are red. Ah, you hear them now. It won't be long. The Hound leads the bride to the Valhan, and the hearts of the Var quicken. And their inaction, which was simply a process of decision that takes far longer than the humans with their quick, impatient ways, comes to an end. No, hush. They won't come in. They know that I am here. I gave you still weed because I need you to be quiet and not incite the others to kill you when you try to run away. Yes, they're in your sister's room next door. I gave her still weed as well, and I thought a long time about whether I could save her too. But I can carry only one, and I'll need to protect you a while while the Red Bride runs rampant and the Var bear her up on their anger. But in truth, I can't forget the time your sister misplaced her necklace and blamed it on Sancha, and the poor little thing was whipped at your mother's post. You didn't know Sancha was mine, did you? It's not the habit of humans to pay attention to such things. When you live with us, you will have to learn to pay attention. The others disagreed with me. They want none of your kind to live. But I have been living among humans a long time. And I know many of your stories. And I think it is worth the risk. I think perhaps I have a part in the tale of the Red Bride as well. Because in the old stories, there is a little bird that sings on the Red Bride's shoulder and flies to the Valhan when they meet and causes him to stay behind at the worst of the raging and keep his hands clean. 
I think I may be that bird. I gave this kindness to your sister. I gave her enough stillweed that she fell asleep and opened her veins myself. I've no wish for her to be frightened, as Senja was frightened. She died after her whipping. Did you know that? Small wonder. We don't speak of it. You might have asked, I think. Shh. Don't try to speak. It's important that they think you're dead. I'll tell them. I'm taking you to the lake to bury you. <laughs> they know I'm half mad anyway. It's a good thing I'm stronger than I look, and that you're little for your kind twiggling. Come now, the house is burning. We'll stay in the long woods until the Red Bride has ended her reign, and the Var remember, as the humans have not, that we are the seeded races, and one under the skin, as the scholars say. Then, Perhaps we can try this again. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Creepy stuff. If we said it once to you folks, we've said it a thousand times. Be nice to your VAR. Hey, you know something else we feel like we've said once or twice here on the show? If you enjoyed this week's story, you can donate to us to help us keep them coming at you. You can do so once for any amount. You can do so with a five bucks automatic subscription. Or you can even do so with a ten bucks a month automatic subscription for you high rollers out there. Go to drebblecast.org, click our support links. All you need is a credit card or a PayPal account, and you'd be doing us a solid. Just like this week's kick-ass donor of the week, Jim White. Jim lives on the north shore of Long Island with Lori, his bird, and Julian, Ava, and Alexander, their babies. For work, he pushes the ones and zeros at a mom-and-pop guitar store collective called gbase.com. And for fun, he partakes in competitive napping and plays the sport of tiny kings, ping-pong. He wants to give shout-outs to his boo, Jules, and all the victims of the Mongolian death worm. Never forget, never forgive. Thanks, Jim. Couldn't do it without you, man. Nambaran thanks you, too. Hey, you folks out there, you ever tried writing a 100-character story? We call them twabbles, and this week's story comes from Eric Marsh. The Flight 9 asshole bomber didn't bring the plane down, but the subsequent security checks almost killed aviation. Close call. Hey, you've probably noticed we run horror here and there on the show. If you're a big fan of horror, you might be interested in checking these folks out. the horror. No pseudopod until October. How will we cope? If you're missing your weekly dose of horror audio fiction, check out Cast Macabre at castmacabre.org 
and in iTunes. <laughs> It's a solid, well-produced show. Go give them a listen. Well, that's all for this week, weirdos. Remember, the Drabblecast is produced under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change any of it, don't sell any of it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you pick up the show if you feel so inclined. Tell a friend. Special thanks to this week's awesome episode artist, Skeet Sciensky. Check out his bacon-flavored website, chock full of artistic radness, at skeetland-art.com. Skeet says, come out to the United States Disc Golf Championships, October 6th through 9th, and meet Skeet as he unveils this year's Spectator ROC Disc Designs. For more details, check out www.usdgc.com. Also look on Facebook under Skeet Sciensky for all his most recent illustrative works. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to keep quiet, twiggling. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.